go to a place that has like doggy daycare and get yourself a series of control dogs where you know the gender of the dog involved and then every time someone's coming in with their new dog and they're like this is this is peachy he's a whatever dogs are these days and you walk into the room and there's a control dog in there whose gender is obviously predetermined by you but you don't you don't tell the person who's trying to run the study it's very hard to double blind dog balls don't use that as the quote at the start of the episode Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with my co-host, James Heathers. And James, a happy Fat Bear Week to you. Did you see this online? Did I see Fat Bear Week? Of course I saw Fat Bear Week. How how good was Fat Bear Week? Uh, look, there are not a lot of things you can hang your hat on these days as you, you don't get a lot of good news. You don't get to look at something and go, this is 100% charming. I, I love this. Everyone else should love this as well. If they don't, they have a miserable withered dead soul. But 409 Beadnose is... I'm going to print him out and put him on the wall. Fattest yeah, Bear 2018. Um, 409 Beadnose. Her. Her? Her. Oh, Female. That's even more impressive. Oh, there, wow. There was, uh, there was a great a great explainer written by our former Hertz guest and uh, Vox Science reporter, Brian Resnick about this, uh, this competition or Fat Bear Week, which is run by the, the, the good people at the Katmai National Park in Alaska. And the, um, uh, the public had to guess kind of in a March Madness type scenario, which bear has gotten the fattest uh, over summer. And yeah, it was, uh, it was Beadnose, uh, a, a female who uh, looked pretty gaunt at the start of summer and uh, now is an absolute unit. This, this uh, Beadnose looks like it's actually swallowed another enormous bear. And you should just, yeah, we're going to post a photo. It's uh, it's incredible. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, wow. fat bear week. Hibernation is a mother, huh? Look at that. I just opened oh, the photo. Hi- this is Rezo. It's a good job, Rezo. Um, that, that, that's very good. Yeah, hibernation is super interesting uh, physiologically. Uh, apparently during um during hibernation they breathe one more uh, one breath per minute. Wow, like a yogi. Yeah, think about that. Oh, just so fascinated with the side-to-side comparison of this this bear. I mean, I feel like it's some kind of achievement. <laughs> I know they probably do it every year. Do you know what they do, Daniel, when they're they're eating the um? They they wait for the the salmon to swim upstream up the stupid thing, right? Uh, the river, yeah. uh, watercourse. Yeah. Uh, and you know they jump jump up and it's adorable, and they just pretty much stand there with their mouths open. They need yeah. so many calories to do this. A lot of the time you can see them stripping the skin off the outside of the fish and just eating the skin where all the fat is. And this is most efficient. And and leaving the rest of the fish. So you can actually watch them with the sort of paws the size of dinner plates and a the head like a fucking Mack truck pick up a salmon <laughs> that's only a few foot long and quite efficiently grab and strip the skin off like they were a fishmonger, eat the skin and then throw the rest of the fish to the birds. It's remarkably dexterous, especially for something that's, you know, the size of a, 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 a decent uh, public monument. Yeah. It's... Oh, I love yeah, the... They're putting on like uh, four, four pound a day. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. A million, a million calories. I mean, it's, it's starting to get into autumn here, so I can kind of relate to that. I <laughs> come home some nights and think, right, I assume we have food in this house. I will eat it. All the food. And then the windows. Ah, so, yeah. so uh, fat cheers, bears. Cheers to beer, beer, let's, beer let's, let's not do a whole episode on fat bears <laughs> as much as it's probably more kind of heartwarming than what we've chosen to talk about or what you've bullied me into talking about you know. <laughs> well the, the first the, the the first thing i want to i want to cover is uh, we actually had one of our um one of our australian listeners who who's done something decidedly un-australian and that's dobbing in dobbing in her mate and uh megan has uh, has gotten in contact with us uh, via soundcloud and she said i just wanted to dob in a mate of mine cooper who's been productively procrastinating throughout the last part of his phd by attempting to address open science from a cultural standpoint. 
Uh, now, Cooper's done something very interesting. Uh, he's put together an interesting proposal. I'm not sure if it's Cooper by himself or Cooper with other people, but um, this proposal, which you can find at freeourknowledge.org, um, is a pretty interesting twist on an old idea. I mean, we've, we've all heard this this um, let's boycott commercial publishers idea before, uh, with the idea being that if you if people stop publishing there, that the prestige for these journals will wear off and they'll die. Um, but this seems to ignore the the reality that if you boycott publish, publishing in a group of journals, um, that people who are assessing your, your jobs uh, applications or grant applications deem important, but if your competitors continue publishing there, then you're going to be left with um, out in the street with no money or no position. And so, in short, Cooper's proposed a system in which you pledge uh, support for community-run journals, but your pledge will only become public when a pre-specified threshold of support has been reached and your name is anonymized until this time. So, basically, you can show your support without risking your livelihood. And the threshold level is up to the individual as well. So, James, what do you, what do you reckon about this idea? Mm. It's one in a long line of ideas that are directly addressing the kind of publication stranglehold, the commercial center of... Look, I'm, I'm torn here, Daniel. I'm torn. Do you see my face being torn? Yeah, <laughs> it's the pi- picture of tornness. That is not a word. It's obviously torography. Torography. Um, which is why a round thing that looks like a donut that looks horrified because it's got a little mouth hole. That one. That's why that's called a torus. Not a lot of people know that because I just made it up. Um, I'll <laughs> tell you why I'm torn. This is this is a gorgeous website, and it's a it's a different kind of idea, right? And so they're thinking about something that's a very large structural problem. And the center of this is your pledge becomes active when you reach a certain threshold, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so presumably I'm in the position where I can say, well, if 10,000 other people do it, I'm definitely doing it, right? For something like that to cascade, you're going to need an awful lot, an awful lot, a stunning amount of human interest. So I'll tell you what I would have done if this was my idea and I believed in it strongly. I would have set this up and this really nice WordPress-themed website, it looks extremely professional. And then at that point in time, you have to hit the streets, man, for, for years to talk about the problem to a lot of people. Do you know how many... I mean, this is one of the, the problems with it. Oh, we're going to fix a structural problem. Do you know how many people are involved in making commitments within the publishing industry between parties in the first place. Do you know how many researchers there are publishing stuff? Do you know how much needs to be said? And what I don't see either from the people who've stuck this together and the people that are supposed to address is people. It's very kind of... Oh, well, it's, it's more or less entirely anonymous, right? I don't know who's doing it. It doesn't appear on the website. It doesn't seem to have people who will champion it, who are kind of the supporters. There's people who are out in yeah, front of the idea selling it to people. It doesn't really have a face. It's kind of an idea in the abstract. I, as I was saying, I don't want to be... I, I love the fact that people are thinking about stuff like this. I love the fact that there is a constructed idea behind uh something something that's new i suppose but this is it it kind of it exists in a vacuum that's absent to people who are supposed to pay attention to it and it says down the bottom like oh we're going to get started we'll officially launch in 2019 um i assume that means we'll officially start like taking names and doing stuff and it'll grow from there right yeah 
I think there's one interesting thing that, that they're not doing it by the pure number of people signing up. Um, they've, uh, they're going to figure out some sort of formula um, for determining researcher influence. So somebody who's got a lot of citations over the past few years, um, if they sign up, that's actually going to increase the, the, the so-called threshold. Uh, I think w- one way that this might work is by specifically targeting subfields. Um, you've got this example of this that was that journal. I think it was a linguistics journal a few years ago. They completely flipped. Um, the whole editorial board was like, "No, nah, stuff you. We're gonna we're gonna start our own open access journal, Glossier or something." Or I don't know. Glossier was the journal that it became. The old journal. Yeah. Oh, the, so that's the new it, the new journal. It, yeah. yeah uh, it started off as. Oh, I think it was Wiley. I should know this because I watched the... Uh, have you seen Paywall, the, the documentary? No, Paywall? that is on my, my favorites list. Yeah, I, I do, I do want to see it. It was released in June. It's on Vimeo. We should, we should link to it. Um, we will link to that. Yeah, there's actually the story behind that. And this is something that you can take from that story. I mean, that's a reasonably small editorial board that was involved, right? So we can presume it was a conversation of somewhere between five to twenty people, but yeah. it took it took two years or some shit to get that set up. Right, that's a conversation mm. between a small group of people. I think the guy was planning it and then eventually just dropped it in the lap of the journal group because he was dissatisfied for a long period of time. But it took them fucking years to get that amount of people to agree to do it within their own individual sort of their own publishing space do you know what i mean yeah so there's at no point in time will you be able to click your fingers and say well this is a great idea everyone's going to come to the party people people don't work like that man um i as far as the kind of journal flipping to a different model is concerned um if I wanted to do a project in something like that, I would try to get resources together and make something like a journal flipping kit. Yeah? Interesting. Here's yeah. how much it costs to buy your own journal hosting. And I saw one the, the other day. It's an open journal platform thing. I don't know who buys the services. Probably a lot of people. Probably some predatory publishers. Probably some normal publishers. But it's a totally open source journal platform. The full journal support with the kind of a paper management system and the security and the online support and the rest of it is about $2,700 a year for the, the proper plan with the full support, which is probably what you'd want. Right. Mm, mm. So where do you buy that? How does it work? What does it look like? How do you set up your own editorial board? What legal agreements need to be in place? What DOI agreements and syndication agreements between like, where does this, where, where do these papers go? Right. Do you think there's a journal board out there who doesn't have the fucking time to look up how to start their own journal? I'm absolutely sure. So when you say, let's think about subfields to change this behavior, I think that's a good instinct. But how do you address something within a subfield? You need to get the, the resources to the six people who can take that journal and go, you know what, Springer? You know what, Wiley? Go fuck yourself. And this is what we're going to do. And even doing that, even with the resources in place, maybe it would be like, it would be something in the region of, instead of taking two years to flip it out, shutter the thing and start your own new identity journal, Right between your editorial board and overall board, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, if you could cut the time from two years to one year, get people what they need, make a make a resource for people to be able to do that. Then you need six people to make a decision. You don't need ten thousand people to collectively make a decision to change their behaviour. Right. Mm. This is what we always we said several times. I had a great conversation about this the other day. Funders funders have power. Right. So if you're the Wellcome Trust and you say everything we publish needs to be not just open access, but not gold shitty $4 million open access, right? Or say something like, just as a kind of an intermediate compromise solution. Say you apply for a grant with any private foundation and the rules go like this. Oh, you can have the money, but you need to give away the data because that's why we're doing this in the first place. We're in the philanthropy business. Like your career is a side effect to us. We're in the philanthropy business, right? We're trying to create public good with all this money and shit, 
Right. So we've got we've got that. That's that's what we do. That's our core mission. So you give away the data because it's a public good. You give away the paper because it's a public good. Now we accept the fact that you may have to publish in some dopey big publishing OA outlet. I mean, it depends on the field. Sometimes it's some mm. some fields are totally captured by the status quo. Right. We accept the fact that you need to do that. Here's the maximum amount of money that you are allowed to pay to get open access for research we support. You want to get fees down? Just tell people, yeah, we'll give you $1,500 per paper or $1,200 per paper or some shit like that, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. You, you can take that to PeerJ, right? And we said, we are, we're not even going to let you spend our own money. You're the fucking funder. You can do whatever the hell you want, right? Who else has that kind of freedom? Someone who is in charge of the intellectual content of a journal. If an an editor-in-chief and a whole editorial board goes, right, that's it. We're not not doing it anymore. Now, you end up with problems like it's a society journal and it has an agreement with publisher XYZ. Right? And you have relationships that maybe that you you can't unpick. You see what I mean? So yeah, you don't have yeah. you don't have an unlimited amount of power. But I mean there's a few stories about this where people have just gone, no, we don't want to do it that way anymore. Right. So those are the people who are those are the people who are capable of making an influential decision in the short term. Now I don't want to say don't try and go out and get ten thousand people to sign the fucking thing, but the people who when you go out and get ten thousand people to sign the fucking thing are not the people that you want to address anyway, right? Busy mm. scientists don't care, man. This is a, you realize this being in Boston. They just sort you, of you, you don't think they'll spend five minutes signing a pledge? No, it's not. It's not what I mean, Dan. I mean, there's there's people here. There's lots of obviously there's lots of lots of molecular biology and biotech stuff in this town, right? There's an awful lot of very mm. fancy labs run by very fancy people. They don't give a fuck. They have, and, and I will be charitable and say that this is just the way that they've evolved to do their jobs, where they need a laser-like focus on one thing. And the system works well for them. They're talking about, ah, oh, if we spend two more years on that, that's probably going to be a nature paper. That's probably going to be a cell paper. Like, it's a regular thing, right? They start stacking yeah, yeah. They start stacking these things like fucking cordwood. Now, what the work that they do matters because everyone else reads it and they find out consequential stuff because they've got good resources, clever people, and lots of money, right? So, are you going to be able to change their mind? Probably not, Right? And I mean, mm. I mean, ever. Obviously, this works for people. If you've got a, if you're getting structural grants, two, three, four million dollars to just keep the lights on in your goddamn laboratory, you give a fuck who ends up owning the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a copyright issue. Oh, that's really terrible. Oh, what was I doing again? All right, seventy-seven thousand committee meetings, and then going around looking for money again. Right, yeah, like yeah. the 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 reality of this is that uh, like academic publishing is broken. Yeah, academic publishing is broken for people who don't have the correct access to it. And a lot of people who are at the very top end of the heap do not spend a fucking red second thinking about this. Mm. I strongly believe they don't give a shit because I've met a lot of fancy people now who are in this space. Right, it never it never comes up. It's like it's a, if you were talking. Have you had a conversation and you brought something like this up? It would be like you mentioned like the funny thing your dog does at home. You know, it's totally not germane to the conversations that they have. Now I'm sure there's exceptions, right? I mean the whole the whole e life shenanigans is a, is a good example, right? You got one Nobel laureate who goes, "Screw this, we're doing a better journal," mm. right? Which and then occasionally comes into the same criticism that the big the big journals get is people are like oh we're gonna put we're gonna put this journal on a pedestal it's fancy now this is now a fancy journal this is a fancy journal that's kind of infected with less dickery than some of the alternatives but yeah it's still it's still a fancy journal so I guess that's more uh, a statement of the fact that if you have got the right people involved it's possible to create from scratch that kind of prestige you know. Oh, our journals, yeah. our journals existed since the dawn of time. Yeah, well, cool, man. I mean, eLife's existed since 2012. Yeah, there's uh, always the guy, Randy Sheckman, right? Yeah, yeah. He went, yeah. He went ah, fuck this. Is a, I want to, 
I want a different. I want a different model of how this works. This got an impact factor, whatever the hell that's worth, about eight. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he knew he was going to win the, the the Nobel Prize for Physiology at some point in time, and is at the end of twenty thirteen, I think, after eLife got started. Um, oh, I can't remember the the narrative. It was five years ago, right? Um, yeah, he came out with a statement, and he went. Uh, I want academic publishing reform. Everyone who works here uh, is Stanford or Berkeley or one of those places in the West Coast. Um, you know, somewhere somewhere real fancy. Um, I want reform. Our lab's no longer submitting to fancy journals. Right? And then everyone jumped on Twitter going, I, I also pledge not to publish in science and nature. Oh, Dan, I could get you to pledge right now not to not to publish in uh, nature and cell and neuron and places like that. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I, I pledge to never to never publish in cell ever. There you go. But see, this is that's you putting your money where your Done. pretty little mouth is, isn't it? Has anyone ever told you you should <laughs> smile more? I started saying that to men whenever they don't do the thing. For to like men? In the, in the sense of equity. How do the men react? Uh, no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about, which is a, a sad indictment on the, the state of gender really? discourse in this country. Has anyone I, ever told I'll you look, you should I'll smile more? They always go, how do I process these words in order? But that's, I, yeah, um, that's, that's, me, that's me giving back to gender dynamics while simultaneously being a dick. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bloke um, sort of within my circles, and I, I overheard him say something, basically said that to, to, a, to a female colleague, and afterwards... Oh. I'm like, mate, mate, you can't say that. And he, he was genuine. He's like, why not? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, he, there, there, there we are. There yeah, we are. I always thought um, I was hearing an Australian woman's accents in, in, in my head in response to something like that. Has anyone ever told you you should stop being such a condescending prick? Dan here, taking you through the break. I just want to give you a quick reminder of the various ways you can support the show. It would mean the world to us if you were to share the show with your friends on Twitter and Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at Hertz Podcast. That's H-E-R-T-Z Podcast, one word. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to say hi, hit us up via message on Twitter or Facebook. You can also rate the show on iTunes or you can leave a review. Now, let's get back to the show. We're going to chat about these um, so-called uh, grievance study studies hoax, and but basically what happened was um, uh, three people spent um, a year writing twenty-one uh, fake papers, which were um, supposedly written as parodies of what the authors deemed to be the current dominant views in these fields, and they were submitted to various cultural studies journals. Um, so yeah, there's 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 a lot to um lot to unpack here. So I, I guess maybe we'll, we'll get started with um the three of the most talked about papers. Uh, the first one was um was about these uh so-called restaurants like Hooters. Uh, the second one was on uh, male dildo use, and the last one, which you actually picked up on when it came out, yep. is the uh, the the dog the dog rape study. Uh, do you want to walk us through? You, you did a, a, a thread on this on Twitter, but do you want to walk us through how you initially? This paper came on your came on your radar because people talk to me about f- fucked up papers all the time, right? I have a fairly small but active network of people who have their ear to the ground with things that are getting published, and they make their way through to our little circle of people who occasionally yell at stuff in public. So it just came up in terms of you know I can't even remember who sent it to me. I don't think I saw it on Twitter. I think someone sent it to me. And said, "You got to have a look at this. This is <laughs> this is out of control." Um, yeah. Uh, to cut a very long story short, you can link to the, the the Twitter thread. I opened it up and went, "No, man, this this didn't happen." It's look if you spend enough time looking at papers that didn't happen, it's it's reasonably obvious. The amount of work involved is the first thing. It was like the way that the data is structured, the way that it's reported. It's as as someone who's read a lot of studies like that, it just had all the hallmarks of being reported by someone who hadn't done the work in the first place. That mm. wasn't the main thing, though. The main thing is like, oh, I've got to look this dummy up. This is um like the the framing of this is just out of control. So I went 
I went out onto the internet to find the author. It was very obvious that they didn't exist. They were from a, a research institute that was just a shell site that was uh, registered through GoDaddy, which is not how you register a research institute site. I mean, no. you, you link to you link to your IT person. You you don't go. We have anonymous registration. I mean, the whole point of that is to be as anonymous as possible. You have resources. You have articles. You get something published. You're screaming about it from the fucking rooftops. I mean, regardless of what you think of the paper, they got it published, and then the the journal itself was quite complimentary about how interesting the scholarship is. Now, regardless of what you think of that, think of the psychology of the person who gets that established, uh, established, right? You're some purple-haired maniac sitting on the bleachers in the dog park, like with your with your structured clipboard, trying to measure the precise mechanics of the dog fucking, only to stand up and walk over and inspect the dog's genitals with respect, like twenty times an hour or something like that. I mean, you would just be a blur running around a decent-sized dog park, <laughs> staring at asses. I mean, the idea that it was done, and you sit and you think about like, the the mechanics of how you do this. And then, of course, what ended up being reported in the first place. If you collect a thousand hours worth of data, which was also insane because they're like, oh, I collect a thousand hours worth of data in a year. That's with, nuts. With no RA, right? No help, no funding. Yeah. And no reported structure. And then there was dumb things that didn't even work. Like, uh, oh, I knocked off it every day at 730 when it goes dark. It was like, motherfucker. I even had this. I really wish I'd written this down at the time because this is a this is something that you wouldn't get if you were some if you're some donkey from the southern hemisphere. You don't get this when you live at forty five degrees north on the Earth. At the in the middle of the year, the sun goes down at about nine, right? Well, in the nastier parts of the year, the sun goes down at about four. So I knocked fluctuations. I knocked off and went home at seven thirty. Is the kind of dumb shit an Australian would say if they're making up uh, making up a, 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 the, the details of a study that was done in Portland, right? That and you know, look, there's only there's two hundred and sixty one working days in a year, right? And you live in Portland, which had a really really shit. Everyone on the internet was bitching about it. Oh, the weather's really terrible this season. They had like more rain than they had in forty years or something. Like, oh, I only went out the nice days. So there weren't a lot of goddamn nice days. And people take their dog, they walk around in a little fart circle on the median strip, let, let it take a piss and then take it back inside before they're washed away in the goddamn flood, right? Mm. They got you got snow, you got temperatures where people don't want to leave the goddamn house. You know, have you tried to ever, ever seen a small dog with a lot of fur try to take a shit in a snowbank? They're like, it's it's, it's uh, awkward. You don't take him to the park. The park's not being cleared. You get more than a couple of inches of snow. You, you're traipsing around the dog park and the freezing fucking weather and your coat. All you see is a leash. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if you roll it all together, it reminded me of uh, some of the studies we'd previously uh, criticized publicly. And I should have written this down at the time. I feel like such a donkey in retrospect now. Because you, you can, if you know what you're looking for, if you come at something like this with, no, this isn't real, because it's got the obvious signs. I mean, it's by someone who doesn't exist. That's the first thing, <laughs> right? And if someone doesn't exist, you start looking through it and you go, oh, no, this is not, this is not some anonymous weirdo. This is like, if you'd done this when tried to do like funding support for it, this is like $300,000 worth of dog dicks, Right. And you did it yourself for full time for a year. It's like okay. So also, what, how do you do the rest of your academic job? But you go in the morning and like throw your throw your the, your briefcase on the spare chair in your office, and then go. Well, I'm off to the park to look at dog ass. What the hell is that? Right? Have you no actual job that makes you money? Is there, there's no visible form of support? <laughs> no, I've totally given. I've totally given the the the, the tenor of my career over to fucking furry balls dog bollocks yeah this is it's, it's dog bollocks all the way for me my son and he's like yeah i did it for a year um that and if you have all that data and this is implied that there's obviously a lot more data than was recorded and some of it was impossible to record on a practical level if you even just think about it just go and find two dogs at a park and see if you can do what was possible in the paper yeah. this is it's obviously sort of the mechanics of it are all wrong, yeah? Apart from the obviously ridiculous conclusion. And you get through to the end with things like, oh, we're going to chain minutes. So at the time, I thought, here's what I thought. Some lunatic has done this for 20 hours 
and it took him like a month to get 20 hours in. At one point in time, like, like a pit bull owner comes in and tries to fucking punch him in the head because they're like, excuse me, sir, do you mind if I respectfully inspect your dog's balls? Yeah. Um, so, like, so I, I, I don't want to make too much light of it, but it is a study that totally breeds immaturity in its discussion because you, you're turning over your serious academic career it's the, to, it's the topic. to it's dog's the topic. balls. Right. So... I should have written something about this at the time because I looked at it for maybe 20, 30 minutes when I had a moment and had a had a chuckle and then proceeded to say, I don't care about this, man. I mean, there's a level to which in all of this stuff and people, there's a tremendous amount of discussion about this in particular. Um, He's like, how important is it the Academy's broken? Is uh, look, Even as someone who goes through papers looking for problems there's an extent to which i don't give a shit right i mean the existence of this in the first place was all i mean would it have mattered that much if it existed well i mean obviously there's principled questions of scholarship at work Hmm. yeah but i don't have any personal investment in these topics so i didn't chase it down i didn't say anything I just forgot all about it. I had it easy to find the paper again because I had a save copy on my hard drive. Like, oh, right, that explains that. Sorry, I interrupted myself. What I thought was happening before, I thought someone had, had done this for 20 hours, right? And then just gone, this is way too hard. And then just times all their numbers by 50, right? I thought yeah. they'd done a bit of data collection and then it was just some lunatic who didn't appreciate how difficult it was. And then they just rounded everything up. But what, what, what did you pin the um the the GoDaddy domain to and the the weird website? You just thought that was just a bit weird and no time, whatever. What do you mean? What did was I? It, what? Did you notice that it had the um the dodgy website? Or yeah, of course. Was that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I mean, if you you've got someone was- who's like, oh, what's the what's the background on this? It is a five second job to find someone on the internet. Like, who are they? What's the context? What do they do? Because so this is <laughs> this is really way out. So I think it's, it's an interesting observation that came up in the, the the absence of that. I mean, it's actually really difficult to get structured observations off people, right? It's really difficult yeah. to observe behavior in a way where they're not giving themselves away. Do you think you could do a good study on homophobia? By getting men in a big group in a room and going right, which one of you hates the gays? You're not going to get an you're not going to get an honest response in a in a context like that. Yeah, it, yeah you have to so. you have to try and find oblique ways to access what people are telling you. This is why we spend so much time on designing questionnaires the right way around, and where you have like people have cool ideas about how to ask questions and discover base rates like Bayesian truth serum. It's why you spend so much time thinking about how to access what people really think. It's why a guy managed to write a whole book just about the shit that people search for on Google, right? Which is what they look mm. for when no one's listening, where no one's ever going to find out. You go, yeah, did the 300,000 searches about does my wife love me anymore compare to like a million searches on does my, does my husband love me anymore? Wow, okay, now we can say something about human behavior because we're looking at some shit when no one's watching. This is why yeah, yeah. this is why reviews are so interesting. When someone says, "Oh, I saw this review, and this reviewer really went hard in this particular way," because they're doing that because they think no one's watching. So, in a dog park, if it was possible, if you've got some guy, hello, I'm Barry the dog owner. I hate the queers, and I drive a big truck, and my father never loved me. That asshole, right? Yeah. Do you think that guy would be more uncomfortable with his pit bull? which would have some name like stab or claw hammer or napalm tits or yeah some one of those colossal fuckwits right so you're that guy do you think you're going to get all weird if your male dog is humping another male dog you're just going to go mate stop messing around okay dog's going to dog yeah but uh, you 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 might if this is, is there a difference between that and your dog humping a female dog. Well, and this is assuming you could know. It's hard. Yeah, exactly. It's Half the time you don't even know. It's hard to speed gender dogs. Yeah? Can you imagine mm. there's 12 of them in a pile and one humps one for two seconds and pisses off into the distance and you're walking around with a clipboard going, come back, come back, Fluffy. I, come, I need come to back. look at the let rear me, end let of Let me you. look between your legs. Yes, but <laughs> if it was possible to do... 
do you think it would be an interesting observation about how people's sort of personal extensions of like, this is my pet, they embody something within me, right? Do you think it would be an interesting observation if men got all worked up that their male dog was humping a male dog versus if they're humping a female dog and you go, well, dog's going to dog. Look at him go. All right. So if it's possible. The question framed in that way. Yeah. If it's possible, there there is some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Academic value there. It's a, it's it would be possible to do. I mean, I already thought I was talking about this the other day. It's like here's here's a way that you could study this. Let's turn this into a laboratory study. Go to a place that has like doggy daycare, and get yourself a series of control dogs where you know the gender of the dog involved, and then every time someone's coming in with their new dog, and they're like, "This is this is peachy." He's a whatever dogs are these days, black, white, uh, fluffy. Uh, he's got ears, um, probably has one of them tails or whatever. He's peachy. And you walk into the room and there's a control dog in there whose gender is obviously predetermined by you. But you don't you don't tell the person who's trying to run the study. It's very hard to double blind dog balls. Don't use that as the quote at the start of the episode. Um, so <laughs> you, you, you walk in... <laughs> You walk in with your dog and you take the other dog and spray it with some pheromones so you get some good sort of humping activity. And then you walk in and say, actually, you couldn't blind it, could you? You have to walk in. Oh, you could give them a packet of information so you wouldn't know what they thought, right? So someone comes in naive and you say, we're doing a, we're doing a uh, observational experiment on how dogs interact. Dogs and their owners interact. And you give them a thing and it says, today your dog will be interacting with. And then there's a bunch of information right which you yeah. the experimenter doesn't see that you see yourself that describes what's happening with the other dog now the other dog is obviously controlled and you probably need a, a few of various different sizes you probably need matched size i don't think so you know great dane hump in the silky terrier that's just not going to happen <laughs> Right? Not happen. Yeah, the mechanics are it's like like Austin Powers the mechanics of it is really impossible um <laughs> so you have appropriately matched dogs. You hose your uh, independent variable dog down with some kind of pheromone. You can do that. They have they have that stuff for breeding. I think they do. Mm. Yeah, I think they do. Really? It's, it's, yeah, I, I, I believe it. But yeah. Um. So, and then you walk into the room, and then you observe what the person does, because you're going to need a proper record, right? How long mm. does it take? Do they pull them off? What do they say? Because they already know the gender of the other dog. So, and they don't feel like that's going to be manipulated in the experiment. They think they're going to see what yeah. happens. So, their dog walks in and immediately starts humping the other dog. Right? You, you time how long it takes. You, you, you have to metricize everything. This is an exploratory study, Daniel. We're not pre-registering the dog balls. You have to try and establish a base state of whether or not it's the, the behavior that you're trying to observe will occur in the first instance. Now, you can do this. Now, you go out and you get a whole bunch of hairy-chested men who've all got dogs called Thor. And then you see what happens when they come in and they're, you know, you, your, your dog, Barry... Clawhammer, whatever his name is, is now humping another. Is now is now humping another male dog. Now we have a controlled observation. Will that reveal something about the sexuality bias of the person who is being observed? It's not. Yes. An, yeah, absolutely, it will. And it's not a. It's not an insane amount of deception. Here's, here's the the part that I didn't like about all of this. I got to getting around to a roundabout point. Obviously, people have had a lot of discussions with me about this since the thread and, you know, the obvious sort of fraud aspect to this. Science is allowed to have weird observations, right? You're allowed to come up and suddenly go, hey, here's a squid thing that I've never seen before. Um, but we discovered that you can, we discovered you can make it fart if you poke it with a spoon. I mean, like, what the hell? Well, it's a repeatable, controllable observation. Look at the data. It's allowed to sound ridiculous in the first instance if you have an observation. It's, it's a mm. very, very straightforward principle. It's like, what, what do you think happened the first time they did research on the photic sneeze reflex? And they go, every time I go outside and look at the sun, I sneeze explosively. It's like, what the shit? Is this an appropriate topic for scientific discussion? No, it's some fucking wacky everyday bullshit, right? 
appropriateness in that sense is not determined by the alleged triviality of the data, right? Or think of Robert Provine's work that's on like laughter and farting and stuff like that, right? This, I mean, as much as it might make people uncomfortable, as much as it might be odd or abnormal, there are structured observations involved. And sometimes it's more, sometimes maybe it's more fun to work on. Maybe there's people who are like, oh, okay, another post-critical theory of the upside down or whatever, right? Maybe, maybe dog humping is, is, is a funnier topic. Maybe it's more likely to be engaging, Right? What do you think mm. they give out the fucking Ig Nobel Prize every year? And the Ig Nobel Prize is given out by actual Nobel laureates. You knew that, right? When they do that. They had that recently in Boston. I didn't get to go, um, which I was okay. quite sad I didn't about. Know that, actually. Uh, so they're selling tickets and I forgot to buy them and they sold the tickets that I wanted and it was a, it was a while back. But yeah, you know, research that makes you laugh and then makes you think. This is your total, and they have no problem filling the annals of this. Uh, this prize with research that is in many respects as prima facie ridiculous as dog humping. So I, 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 my reaction to this whole thing, and I did say I had a point before, but I guess I finally got into it. My reaction to this whole thing is if you write some article and it's just what you think and what you think is a, is a structured a structured series of insane interconnected observations full of pious humanities-flavored postmodern lunacy, right? That's what you think. And people will agree with you for a variety of reasons. Maybe the language is congruent. Maybe the ideas are congruent. Maybe it's provocative. Hopefully there are journals out there that are honest enough to say, I totally disagree with this, but uh, it's really interesting. Maybe that doesn't happen. That's one thing. But when you say... I've got a ridiculous idea and here's a series of structured observations I've taken to support my ridiculous idea. You are not doing the same thing as writing some review article where you tell people what you think. Mm. Right? When you're, when you're fabricating an experiment versus saying, this is an opinion, this is an observation. We put observations on a pedestal because they're allowed to say, they're, they're allowed to be subject to uh, serendipity and oddness and they're allowed yeah. to be quirky they're allowed to say something about the center of an idea so when you get to the end and you go oh, this was totally ridiculous and no one saw it you go, yeah I saw it but I do so much more of this than your average peer reviewer for the, the, the journal of uh, interconnected subgendered derrida's fucking whatever right it's totally unfair to expect a reviewer who's not specifically reviewing something with the mindset already of this is probably bullshit to go, oh, yeah, the data's, you know, it's not the fact that the observations are insane. Maybe you could tone that down. Maybe you could leave it the same. But I see in the center of this, in the, the recordings that you've taken and the data that something's fucked, expecting someone to find it on that basis doesn't happen in lunatic social studies because it doesn't happen fucking anywhere anywhere i on on that idea i actually saw a proposal um online on twitter from uh, from someone called david chapman who's uh, at uh, meaningness uh and david proposed that we should actually try and systematically hoax all peer review journals uh in, in in the sense that you attempt to publish clearly bogus papers and that journals should actually be publicizing their success rates in that we caught X amount of papers. Uh, the idea that he proposes is that you would pre-register your um, your so-called hoaxing attempts and then um, upon publication, you would unlock your pre-registration. Um, and he, he even goes on to say well, you should get career rewards for successfully either publishing a hoax paper or, or detecting a hoax paper. The idea being that if... If it's known that all journals, he even goes to as high as to say that five percent of all papers uh, submitted to journals should be hoax papers, which, which I think is a bit, bit, bit ridiculous. But the idea being that if people, are why out is there it thinking, ridiculous? Don't, don't fucking cut me off with an adjective. Why is it ridiculous? It's unethical, and that—that uh, that was my main problem when when I first first saw this come online. The first thing I thought was how how unethical is this? Both for the uh, for the editorial team who are most likely unpaid. Uh, the reviewers who are definitely unpaid to be reviewing these papers who in good faith they think this data is real I actually saw a comment from one of the reviewers uh, the reviewer of the, um, the, the masturbation equals rape paper 
Um, and, and he said something along, along the lines of like, I was actually, I was really annoyed to find out that uh, I was writing a review and he actually rejected it, th- this particular paper. Um, Did the journal uh, reject it? I think I saw what you mean, but like I said, I haven't been he, paying that close attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he recommended rejection okay. and the journal also rejected the paper. Um, so the, the title of this paper was um, Rubbing One Out, Defining Metasexual Violence of Objectification Through Non-Consexual Masturbation. Um, non-cons- so, so basically- non-consensual masturbation, right? So yes. they probably had some original reflection on the idea of consent as being something that you obtain from another party by definition if another party is not present this was the first paper that David had ever review- ever reviewed, and I'm sure a lot of these reviewers um, t- t- tend to be grad students. And then to, to find out that it was actually a, uh, a hoax paper, it's it's in- it's completely unethical. The fact that um, people didn't even realize they were doing this because people don't expect people to be submitting these uh, the, the, these hoax papers. And he even said that he thought something was a bit fishy with the paper, but he was actually being constructive and gave some feedback, recommended that it would to be rejected, but still but still gave some feedback. So this idea of doing this five percent thing, I think the only situation where I would actually be okay with this is if a journal actually came out to say, going, hey, we really care about this. So, if you choose to publish to us or send your manuscripts to us, or if you choose to uh, to be a reviewer, please note that at least 5% of our papers are hoax papers, yeah? So, if you actually go into this knowing that, hey, I might actually be reviewing a hoax paper, and maybe I can say on Twitter or my CV, I detected a hoax paper, then that's fine. But if you do a blanket thing, where um where people just have no idea whether they're, they're doing this and imagine poor imagine there's the situation for for, for for this um if it was public for instance and this is a, a grad student that happened to accept this paper like that's, that that's not going to look good and that's I think that's completely unfair unless you actually know going into it that this is what the this is what the situation is so I'll see if I can find that um that tweet and I think uh, David also wrote a, a short blog post um explaining the whole thing and apparently um. They also they took one of his comments for improving the paper and and used that within the main article and blew it out of context, despite the fact that David actually recommended um, rejection of this paper purely because David had the good faith that this was actually a uh, this is actually a, a real paper. So, look, I think this idea is good as long as everyone's uh, signed up for it. Um, it is it is one way that we can do this, but I also think that journals can look at this in different ways. For instance, I. I think a few journals are now trialing the use of like automatic stat check. I mean, they're already doing automatic plagiarism detection. So, why not just add automatic stat check and then they can go, hey, your stats are inconsistent. Um, well, it depends, on how, like- it depends on how good the fake's going to be. Honestly, you go, like how, how much, you know, the moment you do that, you're going to have resources for people who are going to learn to dodgy up papers in the first place. Do you, think, do you, do you well, think if we sat down and we wrote a paper on what we do? And yeah. we decided to invent everything. And I mean everything. Not not like repurposing existing stuff, but simulated signals. Uh, so you, you, you simu- simulated signals, simulated uh, statistics that obviously derive from the signals, um, a fake experimental context and something we'd never run before. We just invented the whole thing out of whole cloth. Do you think we could get it published? Yes. Yes. We, we could do it. Yes, yeah, so do I. Um, how much... How much faking are you allowed to do? Because the, well, this is look. It's this is obviously supposed to be a provocative idea, right? And you're thinking about like here's the system. What we don't know is we have no indication of like the guts of how well it works. As we know, papers that are dog shit are getting through. We know papers that are good are getting bounced for whatever reason, right? And usually it's not basic trust. It's usually something else. Right, you're not detecting well, Dave, fraud David, in the first instance and chucking the chucking the things away. Right, David, what? That David does actually say he's he's not suggesting that we just make up data because the, 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 there's the entire problem like we suggested before. If you know what you're doing, if you're really good at your field, um, and you know statistics and you know data detection stuff, then you could actually do this. So his suggestion is you actually either use real data and give a bogus interpretation, or you describe a worthless data collection process. Absolute bollocks. And then see, does that get through? Something, something that's so <laughs> that's, so clearly wrong. I mean, that's, that's really that's, stuff that really- that's really funny in context. Absolute bollocks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. But like, you know, I'm sure you you do the same thing. But I review HIV papers, and I'm like, 
man, like this this data collection is so bad, this can't even be salvaged. Now, I'm not going to think that it's a hoax. I'm just going to go, these people just either go, oh, look, HIV, I'm, I'm, I'm going to collect the physiologies and, 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 and do a thing. I'm just going to think that, that people are just naive, not that they're bloody doing, doing a hoax. So, look, and he's even gone as far to, su- to suggest that we should actually end some fields. And the first field that he suggests is we should end nutrition or the study of nutrition. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure how much is just him being provocative or how sincere he is. But he, he, de- he did seem very sincere. Why in his proposal has, that we- have we discussed the places where people actually do uh, fake injection? You know, no, this you, is, I, you know, this is already a thing, right? No. How? Who? In astronomy. The fucking LIGO people. Do they? Yes. It's, do, do explain. Okay. They have a whole team of people. Like a, 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 a woman I know in Sydney described this to me a year or two back. Um, I can't believe we never talked about this. No. Okay. Um, LIGO's huge, right? Laser, inferatometer, gravitational, ornithology. Yeah, they've had they've had a, they've had a couple, as far as I remember. So they're super concerned with false positives, right? Mm. So they they put signals in their data without telling anyone, right? They put they they fake signals and they do things like they go in. I think you've got the laser going down the huge wiggly tube, and you're trying to detect how much the signal changes because of the gravitation of black holes, right? Yeah, Don't yeah. ask me to explain it. Fuck. Um. So they deliberately insert fake signals into the data that they send out. Do the people know this? No. They 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 analyze it. They analyze it blind, and then they find out after. They find out after the fact. Now, you think, oh, shit, isn't that burning a whole ton of time? Isn't that burning a lot of resources? Yeah, but there's, they're, that concerned with, they're that concerned with accuracy that they go to the point of injecting fake data into the signals to see how it will be treated. Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, do you think it's a massive collaboration? You've got all sorts of shit turning up in one place and being sprayed out everywhere to analyzing it for whole different things. It's just petabytes of uh, gravitational laser Malone uh, traveling around everywhere. The amount of data generated by these projects is just colossal. Um, yeah, they had... Um, oh, that's years ago... Uh, they wrote up a big paper, and it was one of these. It was one of these fake things in the first place. You, you open open the box right at the end, like the unblinding of an experiment. You know, you get right to the end. You tell everyone what group they were in. Well, they opened yeah, the yeah. they opened the box, and it wasn't a real. Uh, it wasn't a real uh, signal. It was one of these insertion signals. So, look, obviously, this is a specific example. It's astronomy. It's a well-funded project, extremely well known. They're working on a colossally complicated difficult problem right so that is but i i think even even some it's reasonably controversial even within the people who sort of work within the field in general but they're actually they're actually doing this right they're actually already at that stage so is that workable? Is it workable to do everywhere? Um, considering the way that it's going down with this intensely complicated, intensely difficult thing, which is incredibly expensive and in- involving, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand people, right? This yeah. is a huge. This is collaborators all over the goddamn globe, right? So they can do it there. Does everyone else need to follow their example? Um, shit. I don't it's a know. thing. Yeah, Google uh, LIGO data injection. We'll find this after. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, and it's not it's not easy to countenance. I think it's just the the fact that their their concern with accuracy is so paramount above other stuff that the consequences of wasting people's time, wasting resources, money, time, effort, energy, and the rest of it is secondary to are we actually observing 
the arse wiggle of a black hole. Yeah. Uh, it's that, and they've obviously, I mean, a lot of very serious, very clever people controlling untold millions of dollars sat down and made a decision to do this. So obviously, in context, it's a very, very serious decision someone's made. Hmm. Um, that's a pretty good context for how could it be done elsewhere. Uh, yeah. I think, I think one thing you can do is if you're working with sort of multi-team stuff, then you could potentially inject some, some funny data to see if you call it. I don't know. Would you know, tell people? I mean, there's, then you get into the issue. Yeah. Like, do you tell people? Because imagine, imagine the ethics involved of this kind of fucking Ashton Kutcher on the television. What was that show called? His gormless face uh, Punked! You've been what? punked, bro! <laughs> Hooray for you and your knowledge of pop culture. I don't know where that accent was from. Everywhere by the sounds of it. Maybe the bottom of the sea. Um, pun- Look, punked. I, I think, I think right. this idea is fine. If, if you tell your colleagues... If, say, you've done this massive multi-lab collaboration thing... And you want to make sure your stuff is correct, yeah? You want to make sure all your analysis is is, is fine, you, you, your data looks normal. I think if you actually said to your team from the very outset, you know what, we're really concerned about this. So, we're randomly going to insert some funny data. Um, we, and, and the thing is, people should be double-checking their stuff anyway. So, people can't complain, oh, I don't want to do extra work. Well, it's work that they should be doing um, regardless. So, if you actually say, hey... You know, two percent is going to be weird, so keep an eye out for it. And if people know, then I think that's completely fine, and it's going to actually improve the the the, the confidence. It's exactly the same thing of when you actually post your data online. Um, whenever I post my data or scripts online, I check those things ten times as much as I would previously before not knowing they were going to be posted online, because I know that people could actually go through and check that and actually gives more confidence in my own findings. So if you're part of this project and you know that people are double checking stuff because of this other reason then um, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. As long as you knew. So, you're you're talking about the the continuum of how things should be checked and not really going as far as writing a fake paper in its entirety and sending it somewhere to be assessed. No, because you're wasting people's time unless people signed up for it in the the first place. So, yeah, it just... I can't believe, like, people weren't really talking about the the ethical problem with, um, with doing this. Like and, and they claim on the one hand, oh, this is an experiment and it proves that these fields are balked. But if it's really an experiment, where, where, where's your ethics for actually doing all these things and putting well, it's people? It's not really and Think of the, um, the, the person hours that it took to actually re- review this stuff. 20, 21 papers in total. 21 papers uh, takes a few hours to review a paper times three reviewers. Man, frustrating. But, um, you know, just, just, to, just to make it... There are other ways to make these points, I think. Well, so, uh, yeah, probably. Let's, let's put that in perspective. Um, when's the last time you heard an associate editor of a journal complaining that they couldn't get reviewers for something that they wanted? All the time. Yeah, it's we're we're at a point where I mean, it, what you're saying, it feels a bit egregious when we're at a point where it's difficult to get people to pay attention to <sighs> the stuff that already needs attention paid to it when you you end up sort of backing off from the more careful kinds of review and, and trading on whether or not some shit looks trustworthy because i'm sh- i've got reviews yeah. like that where there's like four lines of this looks good and uh someone buy james a small box of chocolates and I'm like that's my review and it's like yeah accept it straight away I'm like what the fuck man you didn't review it at all I mean, you read it because there's information about the paper in the review, but I think you just read it through and, uh, you know, you just made sure there wasn't a picture of a dog's balls in it and uh, <laughs> you just left it. So, we're already, we're already at that point and putting it, into the, putting it into a system that's kind of groaning the way the existing collective review system is right now is, uh, is I think a lot of people found that a bit distasteful. Maybe that's the right word. You know, it's like you, you, uh, uh, yeah. So it's not, you maybe you're wasting people's time. Is there's, <sighs> I'm not even, I'm not even sure what I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say about that. The, look, the whole idea of, um, actually, let me. I'm going to address this in a different way. I really wish that stop using so-called as uh, a verb. As a here. as a verb, just just. Yeah. That's a guy. That's a guy who has his own opinions and his own classes and it represents his own sort of 
you know? I mean, if, if to Quintana something was a verb, you'd probably go, oh, geez, I, I hope it's a nice to, one. To, and then people would use to, it to in- To come a- second of the Tour de France. Yeah. What? Yeah, Quintana, he's, he's a professional cyclist who came second a few years ago. Is he, a, is he a relation of yours, Daniel? My my dad claims that his family come from the same town that his family come from. So, he, he, he every Tour de France, he calls me up. He's like, Dan, have you seen? He's doing well. We're related lo- a long way down the line. Great. Your fifth cousin is good at riding a bicycle in his underwear. We'll put it on your that's a good, fucking That's a good CV. achievement. Yes, that's, a, that's <laughs> amazing, Daniel. It's like you're never going to publish in Cell and you're the fifth cousin to a man who rides a toy up a hill. Good. <laughs> Bully for you. But look, the, the, something, there's a point that people are, are missing about the, the original so-called hoax in 94. Um, and people really should have read the book that he wrote with Jean Bricamont after that, which is uh, much more informative than the thing itself. It's a kind of a fun tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. It was a review kind of paper. He didn't make up no data set. He just took a pastiche of words and s- like science words and postmodern critical theory words and smashed them together in a super collider and made a thing that was it's literally fucking unreadable. Yeah? Dog's bollocks. There's no... <laughs> you know, in England, that means good. Uh, but that's what, what I'm talking about. Like, the difference in kind. Because obviously, I've read that paper very carefully. It's utterly impenetrable. It's literally fucking unreadable. Right? There's no fake data. It's just like, how do we mash physics concepts together in a way where someone will get it published in social text? which I think was a journal. There's no narrative. It's not proposing anything about, oh, we should we should leash men. And um, uh, what was the, the one about the- Hand, the, Handcuff them. The, the, handcuff the, men for some no, sort no, of- No, the other one, the, yeah. the one about, the one about uh, jerking off. The one about, like, if, you, if you're jerking off and you imagine something- um, Oh, it's rape. Then that's, yeah, the, well, well, there's a violation of consent. I mean- Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> As if, as if maybe you could have that granted in the first place. Imagine having that conversation with anyone. It's like, <laughs> can, can, can you can, can, do you consent to this? Wow, yeah, because that's that's not creepy. Is it consent to something that you'll never know about that doesn't affect you and that you can't stop? I mean, obviously, there's a, a maybe that one. They talk about flagrant abuse of language is is higher up the thing than the others. But I see a difference in kind between that original paper. And making something that's a bit outlandish, right? That could, with design, a design that actually worked, potentially answer a question, right? Mm. No, see, we got a link to the actual Sokol paper because people people don't under people don't understand the, the the nature of that. It is just word salad, right? It doesn't. He did. He he was just like retrofitting sentences that he saw that were funny, and jamming extra words in and trying to sort of physicsify this language. And obviously, he did it successfully. And the first response from the journal was like, "Well, I, I'm sure it's not fake, as some of it wasn't very good. I think he's trying to back down from his claims. I mean, that was way funnier than the actual fact that he got it published and the fact that they they went in to say, no, there's got to be some other reason that's not him faking yeah. it." I see a serious difference between what happened then and trying to make something that's quasi-realistic and putting a point in it, right? And maybe the, the point is outlandish and unacceptable and uh, crazy crazy social theory jibber-jabber, which, um, you know, yeah, fill, fill your boots arguing about that like every other bastard on the internet. And I'm, this is why I'm yeah. goddamn bored of this now. And by the time this podcast comes out, everyone's going to have forgotten it because the planet's going to the planet's going to be on fire, and we're all going to be hit every morning by our own personal comet every single day until the end of time. Um, so wow. I don't know. I don't know when we're releasing this, but do you, do you, do you, do you, do you take my point on that one? That was a specific yeah, thing yeah, in a yeah. specific context, and Diff- when context. you when you name it after the guy. You give it his kind of... I'm sure he hasn't commented on this. I don't know if he gives a fuck. I mean, he's an old dude now. He's still working at a university from memory. The, the last contact I had with him was when um, uh, he published a paper on the uh, the positive spirals with uh, with Nick a few years ago. Oh, uh, really? 
Yeah, he was an author. Yeah, that's he was an author right, on that first right. paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like saying, "Oh, I'm a member of that intellectual tradition," when it's kind of when you're you're writing something that can be even read, where the words in order actually convey meaning. I I see a difference. I don't think it's the same. Yeah. All right, I've repeated myself now. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up for today. Let's wrap but, up for uh, today. Thanks. Let's thanks, wrap up. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Make sure you Make hit sure us up you hit on. Us uh, on, uh, no. <laughs> on Twitter, we um <laughs> we're um we're we're at Hertz Podcast. Um, contact us over Facebook as well. We're getting a lot more Facebook followers, which is uh, which is cool. Why? Um, so yeah, we are. Why? Getting a bit of an, bit of an uptick. I, I, I think it's the um. I think it's the uh, shit academics say um, effect. Oh, yeah. Nathan, of- Nathan's, Nathan's hard on yeah. the Facebook. Thanks. He likes the Facebooks. Thanks, thanks, thanks to Nathan. Yeah, so please get in contact with us. Um, keep on sending us questions and giving us uh, uh, things to talk about. We, we really appreciate it. But uh, that's all for today. And uh, we'll be back again soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. Yes, we will. Just remember, we're pretty and you're not. Nah, I'm kidding. I was reflecting the other day, Dan, that uh, everyone who follows me on Twitter is better looking than me. Where did this happen in my life? My head's changed shape as I've gotten older. I look like a fuzzy potato now. I think you should switch it to the um uh, to the Publons profile, James. It's time. I think the tiara is where it's at. It's time. I, I saw You've your, convinced me. I saw it pop up Bye somewhere everyone. else. You, you have another social network where you, where you use the tiara and don't... I don't remember which one, but there's another social network and you popped up somewhere with the tiara thing, so I think I think it's time. Cool. Okay, let's wrap it up. <laughs> Bye creeps. Be good. Don't st- don't stab anyone unless they deserve it. <laughs>